This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peace Free Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. We'll look tonight at verses 1 through 4. Begin a study in the book of Hebrews this evening. Hear the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Long ago, and many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Let's pray. Father, we ask as we come to your word this evening that you would open our eyes, our minds, our hearts to receive what you have for us. Father, we come hungry to your word. We pray that you would feed us on its richness, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. On one occasion, Jesus asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? That's an important question. And they had some answers for him. Uh, as they mentioned, well, some say he's Elijah, some say he's John the Baptist, had various theories going around as to exactly who Jesus might be. That's an important question. Who do people say that I am? But then Jesus asks them a far more important question. He looks at his disciples and he says, who do you say that I am? You see, in the first case, the answer provokes a theological discussion. In the second case, the answer provokes personal disclosure, personal confession. And of course, Peter does confess, well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. What it really comes down to, ultimately what life itself is all about, is answering this question, who is Jesus? Or as Jesus put it, who do you say that I am? Not just people out there. Who do you say that I am? Well, the writer to the Hebrews starts right off the bat with that question. Who is Jesus? And why does it matter? Why is Jesus' identity important? The writer to the Hebrews. That's a phrase we'll have to say a lot because we don't know who wrote Hebrews. Uh, Paul's name, of course, has come up and historically has answered that question, and yet it seems pretty likely Paul wasn't the author of Hebrews, although he could have been. 
but not for a number of reasons. Uh, the style is very different from Paul's. The, the, the themes, just the take on things, just the feel of it. While some places are reminiscent of Paul, on the whole, it's, it's quite different from the kind of writing we're accustomed to from uh, that great apostle. Uh, the, the writing itself is of a very high quality, very fluent, very literary, very polished Greek, comparable uh, to that, say, of Luke in Luke's gospel. Um, from, from New Testament writer to New Testament writer, the level of the writing varies, as with all of us. Our writing tends to kind of carry our own personality now, this is a very polished and refined level of, of writing. Uh, and so people have speculated, of course, who wrote it. Uh, I, I suspect Paul did not, but that doesn't answer who did. Some have suggested Barnabas. Uh, other answers that have come up include Apollos. Apollos is particularly noted in the book of Acts for being a polished and fluent speaker. Maybe that carries over into writing. Maybe it was Apollos. Uh, but we're going to just have to refer to the author as the writer of Hebrews, or the writer to the Hebrews, because ultimately we don't know, except we do know the true author, and that is the Lord himself, that this is the word of God. Now, he writes to ask and answer the question, who is Jesus, why does it matter, and why does it matter in the middle of persecution? Why does it matter in the middle of suffering? Why is what you have in Jesus worth hanging on to instead of going back to old, familiar, comfortable ways in Judaism? In fact, the word better or superior occurs some 15 times in the book of Hebrews. It really is about why what we have in Jesus is better than what our forebears had under the old covenant in the Old Testament. But it's not just a history book. It does have a lot of history in it, but it also has a great deal to say, not just about why we have, uh, why what we have now is better than what they had then, but what difference that should make in our lives now, how we are to live as God's people, living uh, in the new covenant, living by faith in Jesus Christ. We just finished a study uh, of that uh, massive prophet Jeremiah. Why is Jesus better than Jeremiah as a prophet? Why is Jesus better than Isaiah as a prophet? After all, he didn't write a book of the Bible. There's no book Jesus wrote in the Bible. Of course, Jesus ultimately wrote the entire Bible. But there's no book that bears his name. Why, why is Jesus better than Jeremiah? Why is he better than Isaiah? Why is he better even than, say, Micah or Malachi? Well, those are some of the questions that the writer to the Hebrews wants to answer, especially in these opening verses. And he tells us why. Why Jesus is superior to all of those great prophets of the Old Testament. Prophets who would have been heroes to the reader, the original readers of, of the book of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, just as, just as they are to us. Why is Jesus better? Well, he tells us here in three reasons in these opening verses. He just cuts to the chase and talks about the magnificence of Christ in a way that uh, reminds me of Colossians. You know, early on in Colossians where Paul talks about the preeminence of Christ, that densely packed paragraph that just 
each word just seems to teach riches about Jesus. Well, this is the same way, and we could spend a great deal of time uh, looking at every one of these phrases, uh, but we'll look at them tonight as a, as a paragraph, as a whole, as the author wrote them. The first thing he says is Christ is superior because he's superior in time. He's superior in time, or if you want to put it another way, he's superior in terms of where he occurs in redemptive history. God's working in history to bring about his plan of redemption. Notice what he says in verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. It's worth noting that the writer to the Hebrews can describe the Old Testament era as long ago. It's even longer ago for us who live in the 21st century, but even from his point of view, those things happen. The stories that we read, the history, the the Psalms, all that, the prophets happened a long time ago, even from his point of view. And he observes how God spoke, how God revealed himself back then. He says, at many times. Now, you might be forgiven if you read the Old Testament and uh, just think, well, you know, back then God was always just showing up and saying things to people. It would have been great. You know, every day you get up and God appears and he has something new to say. Well, remember, the history of the Old Testament spans a long period of time. And there were long periods of time where God's word wasn't there. Think, for example, in 1 Samuel 3, the, the word of the Lord was rare. Remember when Samuel was just a little boy coming up. I didn't hear much from God. Uh, you think of, uh, think of Amos speaking of a famine of the word of God. Um, God didn't always appear and speak just as a daily occurrence. But he did speak at many different times, certainly. Uh, he did uh, appear, reveal himself. In a theophany, this appearance of God, or, or in the form of a human being, or in various ways, a burning bush, come and speak when he needed to do so to set parts of his redemptive work in motion. And so he acknowledges that many different times, and he says, in many different ways, God spoke through appearances, God spoke through dreams, God spoke through prophets who preached, God spoke through prophets who wrote all these different kinds of ways that God revealed his will to his people. For the Urim and Thummim on the, the breastplate of the high priest. All these different kinds of ways that God revealed himself. Even among the prophets we saw in our study of Jeremiah. The variety of ways that the Lord would speak through Jeremiah. Through symbolic actions uh, on Jeremiah's part. Uh, certainly through the, the preached or spoken uh, word. Certainly through the written word. Uh, in these different ways, God would speak to his people by the prophets. And God did speak. It was the word of God. That's why the prophets would say, thus says the Lord. And as we saw with Jeremiah, that often created a difficulty when someone else came and said, no, God says something else. And the challenge is who's telling the truth? Well, it's, it's whoever's word is fulfilled. But God did speak through his true prophets. He revealed himself In these different ways, some of them rather quiet ways, some of them rather spectacular ways, uh, and all of these ways God was speaking. And that sounds pretty good. Sounds exciting. Boy, when God spoke, especially in a Sinai kind of experience, you knew it was the word of God. But notice what he says. 
in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. In these last days. Uh, recent times, to be sure, he could just be saying, well, lately, but these last days is a significant phrase that has to refer to a specific period of time in redemptive history. The time between God, uh, Christ's first coming into the world with his incarnation, his ministry here on earth, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, his pouring out of the Holy Spirit, up until the time when he returns in glory. These are the last days. That's why you know, Paul could write to Timothy, in these last days people will be lovers of self and lovers of money and disobedient, so forth. Uh, it's not as though we look and see people that way and say, well, the end must be near. Paul was describing how people were in his own day, which was part of the last days. But he says in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, which actually is the definition of the last days. The, the ministry of Christ marks the beginning of the last days. As said recently, the last event to take place before the return of Christ and the consummation of God's plan of salvation, the close of human history, the final judgment, uh, the casting of the wicked into hell, the bringing of the righteous in Christ into a new heavens and new earth. This is the last, these are the last days because we don't expect any other part of redemptive history until Christ comes and ushers in the end. He has spoken to us by a son. Now, there's a contrast here. In the past, God spoke to us different times, different ways through his prophets. My servant, the prophet. My servants, the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Now, in the original, it just says, in son. It doesn't say in his son. And Greek has a word that would indicate his, possessive pronoun. Um, the best we could render it, I think, into English would say, in these last days, God has spoken to us by a son. The contrast not being his son versus somebody else's son. The contrast being, in the past, he spoke through servants, prophets. But now, he has spoken to us by a son, a member of the household. Think of Jesus' parable back in Matthew chapter 21, the parable of the tenants. Uh, where Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven in this way. The master of a house plants a vineyard and puts a fence around it, dug a wine press, built a tower, leases it out to tenants, and then he goes away to a foreign country. Well, we read in verse 24, when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And what do they do? Well, they take his servants and they, they beat one and they kill another and they stone yet another. They're treated badly. Well, then he sends more servants, more than the first. They do the same thing. And finally, verse 37, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But of course they didn't. They see the son. They say, well, here's the son. Let's kill him. He's the heir. Uh, let's kill him and let's take his inheritance. And so that's exactly what they do. That's the contrast that's made here. That the Father has spoken in the past through servants, through prophets, good men to be sure, called men to be sure, speaking the word of God, absolutely. But now he speaks by a son. And yes, by his son, but the contrast is not just a servant, 
but a son. And so Christ is superior in time to those Old Testament prophets, great as they were, faithful as they might have been, because he himself is a son. He himself is a member of the, 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 the father's household. But not only is he superior in time, in, in, in coming as he does after they do, being the culmination in redemptive history, being not the, the servants but the, the, the son, but he's also superior in being. Look at verses 2 and following. Here the writer just uh, heaps up uh, descriptions of Jesus. He says, whom he appointed the heir of all things. That this is the son, therefore he is the one who is going to receive the inheritance. It's all going to belong to him. Again in verse 2, through whom also he created the world. Now that's a teaching you find throughout scripture. Um, Think of John chapter 1, of course, uh, that all things were made through him. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Creation was a Trinitarian operation. Certainly God the Father, but through God the Son, we read the Spirit of God hovering over the surface of the waters. But it was through Christ all things were made, through whom also he created the world. He continues in verse 3, he is the radiance of the glory of God. Now that's something the prophets sometimes would see, or others in the Old Testament, to see the glory of God that radiates the Shekinah, uh, the light of God's presence. Well, the writer to the Hebrews has this interesting way of putting it. He says, Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He's not a reflection of it. You know, the sun shines and the, the moon lights up, not with any light of its own, but because it reflects the light of the sun. But the moon has no light of its own. He's not saying Jesus reflects the Father's glory. He's saying Jesus is the Father's glory. He is the radiance. He is to the Father what shining is to light. If you can draw a distinction between the two. And that's part of the point is ultimately you really can't. But he is the radiance of the glory of God. And also in verse 3, the exact imprint of his nature. Uh, the, the term that he used there has to do with, with setting a seal in, in soft wax to, to make a seal, to impress an image into wax, to, to seal it, to mark it. Well, that's exactly what Jesus is. He is that image. He is that imprint of his Father's nature. Now, you think about that. You look at Jesus, and you realize that to see Jesus, it really is to see God. That the Lord of the Old Testament is no different than Jesus of the Gospels. You know, when he says that, it reminds me of Jesus' words to his disciples in in John chapter 14, that conversation that takes place uh, after Jesus has told them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Philip says to him in verse 8, Lord, show us the Father. And that's enough for us. I should think so. Show us the Father, and that's all we need. Just show us God, you know. And and what Jesus says to him is is important. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Not that Jesus is the Father. But as the writer of the Hebrews says, he is the exact imprint of his nature. If you want to know what God the Father is like, 
read about Jesus in the scriptures, read about him in the gospels. That is God the Father. Uh, yes, there, there is the, the, the wrath of God that you sometimes see in the Old Testament. But you also see the wrath of Jesus some in the New Testament. But to see Jesus is to see the Father, is to see God. He is the exact imprint. We're not going to be tricked. We're not going to be deceived as to the nature of God. And he says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Not only does it come into creation through him, it continues to exist. As Paul writes in Colossians, in him all things cohere. In him all things hold together. He is what keeps this universe functioning. He's what keeps it in existence. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. You could probably render that his powerful word. Think of God speaking and creation exists. Think of John 1, the word was with God, the word was God. Through him all things were made. And so you gain this magnificent picture of Jesus as as not just a son, not just coming after the prophets, being the final revelation of God, the final way of his speaking, but just the, the, the superiority of his being. Of, of which of the prophets can, can these things be said? Not of any of them. Not of the best of them. Not of the greatest of them. This so far outstrips any qualifications Jeremiah or any of the other prophets had as to put Jesus in a class by himself. So superior in time, he comes at this later part in redemptive history, not just a prophet, but a son. He is superior in terms of his sheer being, indeed, God in the flesh. But then the third thing is just his superiority of place. Notice in verse 3, he says, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Both his humiliation here, his willingness to suffer to make purification for sins, but then his subsequent exaltation, being raised to the right hand of God. Certainly, this is true of none of the prophets. Uh, The prophets, as much as they might plead with the people to repent, could in no way atone for their sins. Uh, And certainly no prophet was exalted to the right hand of the majesty on high, but he humbled himself and therefore he was exalted and uh, given the name above every name. And interestingly, and this really is the transition into the, the next part of chapter one, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And we'll really save that for next time, Lord willing, because uh, it really just leads into the next section of this chapter, but not just prophets. Superior to angels. Now, a couple of things that this implies for us. Number one, the revelation that we have in Christ is complete. Once the Father has sent his Son, what more is there to say? And what we have in Scripture that speaks of Christ and about Christ, whether it's the, the Gospels themselves or the epistles that explain the meaning of the ministry of Jesus and the application that it has for us, all of these things uh, indicate the conclusion of God's revelations. That's why God, uh, to us, that's why God does not continue to speak in various times and in different ways to us. He takes his word, complete now, that testifies to Christ, and yes, it may apply in different ways throughout our lives, but God no longer appears on top of Stone Mountain to give forth more law. 
It just isn't going to happen. The canon is complete because Christ is God's final word. He is the culmination. The prophets were there because Christ was not. But now Christ has come and he has spoken. It speaks to us not only the completion of God's revelation, but its sufficiency. That what we have now in Scripture is sufficient to guide us in living uh, godly lives here in this world. It's sufficient for what we need, not just for what we are to believe, but how we are to live, for how we are to engage in ministry, for how we are to function as a church, for how we are to lead our families. It doesn't tell us all knowledge. There are a lot of things the Bible does not address or speak to, but it is sufficient in that it gives us all we need for lives uh, of truth and for godliness. But the other thing that it does is it once again impresses upon us the need to say, who is Jesus? Who do you say that Jesus is? This is not the answer most people will give you. Is it? historical character, or he wasn't. He was a great man. He was a moral teacher. He was a revolutionary. All of these things that fall so far short of this glorious picture that the writer to the Hebrews opens with. The very first thing that he says is, look at Jesus. Look at how glorious he is. Look at how sufficient he is. Look at how magnificent he is. And the privilege that is ours is to know him, is to believe him, it is to follow him. Who do you say that Jesus is? If you'd be biblical, it needs to sound a lot like this. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for our Savior. Thank you, Father, for these these opening words of Hebrews and what a what a portrait they paint of our Savior, of your Son. Father, we thank you for him. Thank you that we live in a day when he has been revealed, when he has ministered, when we have the complete scriptures. Uh, Father, we know that your people in the Old Testament enjoyed a great deal. And sometimes, Lord, we look at the things they had and think, boy, I wish I had that. But Father, we have so much that's better, so much more complete, so much more full. We thank you for it. But Father, more than thanking you for it, we pray that we would live as people of the new covenant, People who have not just the prophets, but the prophet, the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.